Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Last week we started off by saying this calm before the storm. And Lord, you protected us from even that. Moved the rain out quickly and uh, we were blessed, Lord, with beautiful weather. We pray for all those who were affected by it, though. And uh, we just speak a blessing over all of them. And uh, we speak your provision and your peace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, today, I want to continue talking. We started last week talking about the fact that we are blessed beyond all measure, amen, in a sense, and that God has called for us to draw on the power that worketh in us, the Bible calls it in Ephesians 3.20. Because he works exceedingly, he can do it exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then I said, then there's that part of the scripture that everyone leaves out. According to the power that worketh in us. So it's a partnership. It's a relationship. And we can't forget that we have a part to play. The body of Christ has been tricked in many Settings into believing that the sovereignty of God, even though He is sovereign to the extent that He is the Alpha and the Omega, He's the one true and living God in three persons, and He is all-knowing and all-powerful, but He has given people dominion in this earth. And we He has come and sent His Son and restored to us the authority which we gave away to the enemy, we being the seed of mankind in the garden. Amen. And so now, through Christ, we are destined to reign again in the earth. Even though, for a time, Satan is in charge of this world, he's not in charge of us. We, we don't have power over Satan himself because he's been given legal right to be here for a time. But we have legal authority in the name of Jesus over all the works of the devil. And we know if you have a tough time figuring out what's God and what's the devil because you've been to church all your life and they mess you up a little bit. And told you that God was putting some things on you that really the devil was doing. Just remember, it's good God, bad devil, okay? In in, uh, John 10.10, they were always accusing Jesus. And he says, no, no. He says, the devil, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, have you seen the Father? You've seen me. I only do what I've seen my Father do. And in Acts, Peter described Jesus. He said, haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power? And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So God is good, and he's been blamed for a lot of things that he didn't do. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're learning how to reign in life. And we also realized last week through the Word, because everything we need to, to prove up through the Word, because sometimes we're killing a bunch of sacred cows that have been raised up through the church, right? So, when you come against those things, and the mindset's because if you haven't realized anything yet this morning here, besides that there's, a, there's the presence of the Lord is here, 
you should realize this is a great melting pot, you know. And so we all come from different things and different places and church to unchurched, wrong church to right church, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm not against anybody. Get that straight. I have come to terms with the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. I love everybody. I don't want to see anybody miss God. I'm against wrong doctrine. I'm against wrong teaching because that hurts God's people. If, they, if I tell you that God put a sickness on you to teach you a lesson... I should be ashamed of myself. And if a preacher has been taught to teach that, then he needs to be corrected lovingly. And hopefully he'll get on the right track. Amen. Amen. And I believe in these last days, as this this third great awakening has already begun, and uh, the great revival that we have been waiting for is upon us, I think more and more the Holy Spirit is going to begin to show these truths and Jesus is going to have his prayer request from that fateful night and there is going to be unity in the body of Christ. I love when old John Osteen, uh, Joel's um, daddy, who was a great apostle of God, he said that, uh, yeah, we used to be a Baptist church and then one day the sign fell down and we just never put it back up. I like that. You know, and... It's going to, we're all going to, Jesus is coming back for a bride, not a harem. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get together and we're going <laughs> to come to agreement in Jesus' name. But we also know through the word that we all start out in this, this life as believers when we truly born again uh, as babes, as little infants in Christ. And God is very protective of his children, and especially the babies. He likes to spoil the babies, you know. I know he showed off for me a lot when I was young in the faith, and uh, I I like to see him do that with everyone who's really seeking him. And then he doesn't ever leave you or forsake you, but he will sort of wean you off of that that coddling you and and making and letting you throw out the fleece for him like Gideon did. And uh, if it's really you, you know... Uh, he'll kind of wean you off of that and help you to start trusting in his word and knowing that it's true and helping you to learn these 8,000 promises that he's put in here for you because they're all for you and they're all yes and amen in Christ. Amen. But the truth is we can be proactive in, in our faith and we can, uh, we can keep a lot of the, the, uh, the need for miracles in our lives to a minimum. I said last week that miracles from God are not his best. And people always give me that funny look like, like that's crazy. Well, at the time, if you need a miracle, it is God's best. And, it's, uh, and we're always thankful for those. But the problem with the miracles, it requires a crisis. And God does not want us living crisis to crisis. People that live in crisis to crisis are sometimes just... And, they, and they've been in the faith for a while. Sometimes they've just been taught wrong. They've had this sovereignty teaching where God's just in control of everything. And they just it makes them passive. It makes them passive and it allows the, the devil to come and eat their lunch and pop the bag. And then they, they, they think of their uh, passivity as faith and it's not. Okay? So the other thing is the feelings of guilt and condemnation... And unworthiness, and that makes people feel paralyzed and makes them feel like they have no right to expect anything good from God or that they can be proactive uh, regarding anything uh, from God 
And so, again, it just makes them helpless and sometimes hopeless. And what those things will do when you think you're when you think you're unworthy, then you won't uh, do anything to try and prove your improve your lot. You'll just uh, feel like, well, it's I used to be like this. I, I, I would abandon every good thing that God tried to give me and I would sabotage it because I had no self-respect and dignity. And I thought that I deserved every bad thing he gave me, you see. Anyway, all that is wrong thinking, and we're learning to, what does it mean? If he expects me to reign in life, because the scripture says, for if because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam in the garden, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, first we have to learn to receive, many of our receivers are broke. The abundance of grace, remember that God of abundance and, and uh, multiplication, uh, the, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So that scripture says a lot. It's a free gift, the righteousness that we have obtained. You are a righteous man in God's eyes. The problem is we don't see ourselves that way sometimes. And if we, until we do, we're not going to reap all the benefits that come through that free gift of righteousness. That song that uh, John did earlier, oh, thank God Andrew Womack wasn't here today because he might have stopped you right in your tracks. That's one of the songs he makes fun of the most. I don't mind it because to me it's just a guy coming to the Lord in a repentant state and acknowledging his his total helplessness apart from God and, and, just, uh, and just seeking the Lord. Um, but, but then when he starts to say, what could I ever do to, 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 to repay and all that stuff? The answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you did to earn your salvation. There's nothing you're going to do to earn the healing for your bodies or the prosperity in your bank account. It's all part of God's grace and you have to receive it by faith. You have to consider that everything Jesus did right is credited to your account. And quit looking at yourself. Amen. Amen. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll become like him. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn to Sam, 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 30. And this is a story about David. I, uh, I love David in the Bible for the same reasons I love Peter. Uh, like we were talking about one of us this morning. We, we learn so much from these men of God and these stories that the Holy Spirit was so kind to include in the Bible that show the faults and flaws in the character of these men and we see King David he was certainly one of them he he was a great leader he loved his men he loved his family he loved he loved God and he was wonderful in so many ways and he acted in faith for so long but he also made a whole lot of mistakes and God still called him a man after his own heart. 
Well, let's look and see a little bit into the life of David and why. Because here's an example in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we're going to read the story of a, a terrible situation that David was facing. His father-in-law, Saul, who was king at the time, although David had been anointed king 13 years prior. Amen. And, and he still was waiting for that to manifest. How many of you would start thinking, maybe this prophet misspoke when he came to my house that day and they had to come out in the field and get me and all my brothers hated me ever since he did it. Anyway, some of you might have started faltering in your belief. But his father-in-law was actually trying to kill him. He had been running for his life every day for 13 years. His possessions had been taken and, and burn, uh, his, the, the village would be burned, his wives and all of the wives and the children of uh, his men had been taken. And here we are in Ziklag, chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ainoam and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Now, that's a pretty bad situation. Not only has everything you love in the world been taken from you, or destroyed, but now... Everyone that you have with you remaining have all turned on you too. And they're thinking about killing you. And at this point, you, you just have to really meditate on this situation that David was in and put yourself in his place at this moment and just to, to just really figure out what you would do. I know many would get in despair, many would just give up, many would, would do crazy things. Uh, but the, the wonderful thing that David did was the next verse, or the next half of that verse right there. He said, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's an amazing thing, and it's a very important detail, because it's the only thing that was going to help David. Listen, I know people of faith who, when everything goes south, they go with it. And it's a good thing that they have Christian brothers and sisters because if they didn't, they would be lost. 
And the last thing they do in the midst of the storm is to begin to praise God and seek God. Especially uh, if they've really been hurt by someone or they're angry or just really distraught. It's hard to, to rein them in. But it's good that they have Christian brothers and sisters who will not only pray with them and comfort them, but point them back to the Word of God and hopefully get them back on track. That's why we're not supposed to keep our own counsel. Amen. But I'm here to tell you that the majority of your Christian life is spent alone. While we do have a great family in the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, God sets the lonely in families, and this is what he's talking about. But still, we're more often alone than we are with the family. Amen. And we need to be able to find solace and comfort and strength and joy when everything in our natural surroundings and situations and circumstances says no. And this is the answer, folks. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Things were looking really bad. David in a, the natural should have, could have been very depressed according to world beliefs, you would agree. No one would have blamed him for being discouraged, I don't think, at that point, or dismayed. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know how he did it? The Word of God. Back then, they would go and get the ephod, which was a thing that the priest put over his chest, and it had colorful stones. And anyway, it's the way that he communicated, the Holy Spirit communicated with them and the priest would give him the answers for God. Now you don't need the ephod because you have it inside of you. Amen. The kingdom of God, the mind of Christ is inside of you. And you can draw from that well. Faith is the hand that reaches out and obtains hold of everything provided by grace. Amen. So now we can pray in the spirit. We can Pray in our known language. We can sing in the Spirit. We can seek God through His Word. And He will speak to us. And that's what David did. He got a word from God. And it's a good thing he did because he acted on that word. I was going to read more of this, but I'm going to skip it because for the sake of time. But by doing what God said instead of what man says is okay... In general, when you're having a bad day or things are emotionally stressful, you will reap the rewards that God has for you if you don't if you don't give up. We talked a lot last week about persevering and endurance, and that is one of the the main things and teachings in the in in the Bible regarding the Christian faith is about endurance. It's a race and it's not a hundred yard dash, it's a marathon. So, and Jesus said that one who endures to the end will be saved. You see? So it's, it's not just an event. It's an opportunity when we get born again. When you say that prayer. 
But then you move into that relationship with the Lord and you grow. You grow up and you become more than just a, a baby. Uh, you start reaching up for that coffee table like I explained last week. And you pull yourself up and pretty soon you're walking across that floor. And then next year running and climbing. And, and God is watching you and cheering you on the whole way. And he said, look at my baby. Look at my baby. Look how he's growing up. And he's always looking. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who's gone on before. And God is always looking for something that he can show off on you. That's why every word, I'm sure after last week's message, it was so powerful. And I say that in all humility and meekness because it wasn't me. It was God. But I'm sure that that word was tried in some of you. Because the devil comes immediately to steal the word. And when he comes to steal it, and you're aware of his tactics, and you hang on to it, it makes you stronger. And God is going, look at my baby. Look at my baby. Standing in faith, in the midst of adversity. Amen. Or oh me. You know, David and his men, he said... God told him, pursue, pursue those men, and I'll give them into your hands. They chased them down, and they killed those men for a whole day. They, all of them, except for 400 young ones who were fast enough to jump on camels and get away. But not a single one of their loved ones was lost. They got not only all their stuff back, except the stuff that had been burned, I guess, but all their valuables were gotten back and everything that these other army had. Amen. There is something in that scripture that comes to that passage of scripture that comes to mind. And I want to read that. I don't know. I think it'll help somebody. Uh, in the in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel in verse 10, it says, But David pursued, pursued the other, the enemy, he and 400 men. 200, there were 600 of them, okay? 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. It's interesting that 200 stayed behind. I mean, they were just worn out. They were probably older guys and they stayed and they couldn't go on. David told them, you stay here. Probably you're just going to hold us up. Just hold on. We'll go. We got this. I want to tell you this. And uh, verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow. He's talking about when they got back. And they had all this rewards and loot. And they'd recovered everything. They were happy. They were celebrating. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. And who had let, been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they didn't go with us, we'll not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said... You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. 
He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. I want to tell you something. God is awesome. So exciting. This is a great example of a principle that God has put a spiritual law that is at work. I'm always trying to tell you to learn the promises, learn the spiritual laws, and learn how to cooperate with God. Because what he's saying right here about those men that didn't go but stayed behind getting the same share as the one who did go. Okay. When Grace and Truth Church, when GTC sows into this beautiful ministry, and they go out, and they give blankets and houses away, you are getting, you are participating in that. You are a part of that. You are partnership with that, and God sees that, and you, everybody that they touch in their ministry that you have sown into, when you get to heaven, you're going to meet those people, and you're going to celebrate. Amen. Amen. God sees that, and He rewards you just the same as He rewards those who are out there on the street. Amen. Even though you have sown from a distance. Although hopefully many of you will participate with them over the, the years to come and the days to come. And that will be fun. It will be great times in the Lord. But I'm just saying that's how it works. God is a God of multiplication and He's working in all directions at all times. And He's a blesser. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Where was I? David didn't give up. He turned to God. I know sometimes when you're distraught and when you're hurting and when you're lost and your Christian friends tell you, well, just trust God. It seems like such a cop-out. No, man. I don't need you to tell me to trust God. I need you to give me some money. I need you to just... Have a pity party with me. I need you. No. They're doing the right thing. They can help you too and comfort you. Hopefully they won't. They're not just cold and using it as, a, as an excuse. But a real believer is going to tell you that because they know that that is really the source of all of our help. And comfort and provision and peace and joy and health and wholeness. Amen. It was just a matter of hours, you see, until all God had promised David came to pass and he became king. Isn't that something wonderful? If he had stopped, if he had given up in that last minute, in those last days when things looked so dark, he would have lost out. This is true. The same thing with us. So many times... Believers will start off in faith and then, you know, if God hasn't answered our prayer, 
verbally by the time we get up from praying, we say, well, he didn't, he didn't answer it. I'm going to have to take care of this myself. And when you start out to take care of it yourself, even though he's already sent angels with the provision and they're on their way, they'll stop and say, well, he took the reins back himself and we're going to wait until the Lord is invited back into this situation. Turn to Mark chapter 11, and I want to make a particular point because I'm going to, I think I'm going to continue on with this for a minute, uh, meaning weeks, um, because it's a powerful, it's a powerful message in that we're learning what it looks like, what it means for us to reign in life. If God expects us to reign in life, we need to find out what that looks like for the believer. And if we're not reigning in life and don't have dominion over our life, and we're still under the circumstances instead of above only and not beneath, then we need to find out why. So we can do something about it. If we got a part to play, that should be encouraging because it means there's something we can do about it. Amen. All right. All right, so Mark chapter 11, this is a familiar passage of Scripture because I quote it every day of my life, either to you or to myself. Mark chapter 11, it's after Matthew, isn't it? Okay. (laughs) Verse 23, y'all with me? Praise God. Jesus said, Passed by a fig tree as he walked into Jerusalem as he did every morning. And he saw on this fig tree who had leaves on it and it didn't have any fruit. He was hungry. It didn't have any fruit. And he cursed it. It was a hypocrite. This particular fig tree when it had leaves on it was supposed to have fruit at the same time by leafing out but not bearing fruit it was proclaiming something that it wasn't doing it's a message for Christians You got to weigh the cost. Yes. Jesus said, "You put your hands to the plow and look back. You're not fit. You're not worthy for the kingdom of God." Nevertheless, he cursed it. They were coming back by. Um, I backed up to twenty. I always do that. I'm sorry. Verse uh, chapter eleven, verse twenty. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, 
Believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. Now see, it's a kingdom of opposites. And this is something that's really hard to get our natural minds around, but you have to if you want to learn how to cooperate with all the spiritual laws that are in place for your benefit. Believe that you have it when you pray, and then you will have it. You say, well, how can I believe I have it if I don't have it yet? So when I see it, I'll believe it. God says, then you're not going to see it. Believe it now, and you will have it. He's a, he's, there's an assumption here that you're believing according to the will of God. Amen. You can't go out and believe for your neighbor's wife or her husband and expect God to honor that. Amen. God's not going to win or rig the lottery for you. Okay? But you get the point. If it's something that's godly, and now, now here's God's will. Beloved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health even as thy soul prospers. That's God's will for your life. It's God, not God's will that any should perish, but that all should re- come to repentance and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. He wants everybody to be saved. So you can believe for you and your whole household. Amen. We're expected to pray, believing, and receiving what we ask for. That's part of our the way we reign in life. In other words, we're expected by God to pray with expectancy. This is a word that I want you to keep in your heart and mind today and this week and meditate on it. You are expected to have expectancy from God. It blesses God for you to receive from Him. It makes Him happy when you receive what He died to provide you with by grace. Amen. We're expected to speak to mountains the things that come against us in this life. Let me give you a tip for a successful future with God helping you. You will never reign or have dominion over the mountains, the obstacles, the trials and tribulations that you face in this life if you're always complaining about the ones that you've already crossed over. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) If you have your focus on the past, you'll never be able to see God's beautiful plan for your future. So, you'll never get your hopes up. And this is a problem. You'll never get your hopes up if you're always looking back because to do this, you have to have a vision for the beautiful and prosperous future that God has for you. That's Christian hope. A confident expectation of good. A perpetual optimism from about regarding God. If you can't see... If you can't see the future that He has for you, 
because you're ticked off or beaten down about what's happened behind you, then you're never going to give your faith a target, which is what hope does. Hope is a positive imagination regarding God. Seeing yourself healed. Seeing yourself prosperous. Seeing your ministry growing. Seeing your family all redeemed and saved and following the Lord. Seeing everyone you know in good health and just seeing peace, love, and joy infused into the environment wherever you go. Because God in you is radiating. Amen. If you don't have a target, you'll hit it every time. Nothing, that is. You say, well... Nothing ever goes my way. Have you told it to? <laughs> I mean, really, based on the scriptures that we just read, we're supposed to have dominion. We're supposed to use our authority. We have been blessed with everything that we need for life and godliness. All things have been granted to us in Christ. Amen. Where are they? They're in the spiritual realm. But they're yours. They're on account. Alright, how do I get them out of that spiritual realm? Out of this born again me that I can't see or discern with my natural senses? Well, by faith. By faith you draw upon the well inside of you. And you bring it out into this soulish realm. Your mind, your will, and emotions. And get your stinking thinking lined up with the Word of God and the promises of God. And then this thing will just follow suit. Yes. Yeah. Hallelujah. What did I write? Horse here. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, we have to reign. <laughs> we, are, we are expected to reign in life. <laughs> Just a reminder to tell me, keep me on track. We have to take the reins of life. Okay, this is what I was thinking of reigning in life, and I'm thinking about the uh, horse, right? Because that's the reins that you're familiar with on a horse. So we need to take the reins of life. And I, and I was thinking about it, and I was saying, well, you know, you ever try riding a horse without taking the reins? You know, he comes, he's saddled up, he's got the bit and bridle, and he's got the reins hanging there, and you, you, you're supposed to take hold of those reins, right? So you can steer that horse. But have you ever just tried to get on it without taking the reins and just tell him what to do? He's not going to do it. He's going to go where he wants to go. Every time. And it's not going to be where you want to go. That's the same way with us when we yield to our flesh instead of our born again spirit. They're at odds with each other. We have to be proactive. We have to agree with God. We have to take the reins of our lives and we have to 
It's important that we... I've had a couple of horses that took off with me. Once, once, when I was a little boy, a Shetland pony, that mean little sucker. (laughs) He took off running. Right when I got up there, and I I didn't have the range or nothing, he took off running, and, and I couldn't do anything about it, and I started screaming, and... The louder I screamed, the faster he ran, and I jumped off in a patch of stickers. And I remember the folks I was with, and the real nice fellow, it was my my brother's dad, we had different dads. He said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, we'll just shoot that old horse. And I'm like, all right, so I went in and got my BB gun. And I, I, I had that BB gun and I was fixing to shoot that one. And it came, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't really mean to shoot it. We don't want to shoot that one. Uh, sounded right, like the right thing to do. <laughs> but I tell you, if you get the reins of that horse and if he wants to take off with you, if you turn his head, with those reins, he can't run. If you wait till after he takes off and gets a full head of steam, ain't nothing you can do. It's too late. It's the same way with us. We need to learn to recognize the enemy's devices, his tactics, and we need to stop it at the outset. It's sort of like falling down the stairs. If you catch yourself before you you fall, you're okay. Might scare you a little bit, but you got it. Once you've fallen halfway down, you can't. <laughs> you're just going to wait till you hit bottom and see how it turns out. Same with us. We got to be proactive, and we we can start when we wake up in the morning. You know. I, I start speaking to the Lord when I open my eyes before my feet ever touch the ground. I'm not the perfect example, but I'm just telling you, this is a wise thing to do. Speak to God. Praise Him. Thank Him. Consult Him. See, most people's prayer lives are made up of just a big want list, needs and complaints. And all that's okay, in a sense. But really, most of our prayer life should be just glorifying and praising God and singing and fellowshipping with God and thanking Him for it, for who He is and everything He has done. Start at your feet, work your way up. If you got nothing else good to say, and just thank Him and just try to remember all the things. If you want to think about the trials and tribulations of your past, just realize where you are that day and obviously He delivered you through a bunch of things. You could start thanking Him, thanking Him for that and pretty soon you're going to do like Paul and David and you're going to preach yourself happy. And then praise Him, thank Him, consult Him about your day, open up the Word, listen for His voice, then Then, what we're talking about today, speak to your day. Speak to your meetings. Tell everything to line up with the Word of God, the promises of God. 
Speak the blessings of God over your life. He's already spoken them over you. Now, put them out into the spiritual realm. The Word of God, the promises of God, it's all voice activated. The kingdom of God. You are the one that has been given authority. You see, the devil has no authority except what you give him in your life. And you say, oh, well, it's not my fault. No, bad things happen to good people. This is a fallen world. Not blaming you. This is not a, this is not a message to condemn us. But I'm telling you, if we will begin to take authority and realize that God has given us that authority in the name of Jesus and begin to use it to speak to the mountains and the trials and the tribulations and the troubles and the sicknesses and the losses and the griefs in our life, you're going to see a tremendous turnaround. That's why when you got something going on in your life, you don't just want anybody praying for you. I don't mean that to hurt anyone's feelings or to to leave anyone out or that there's a special uh, privileged group in the body of Christ. No, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But some people are still just babes in the faith. And they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, oh, yes, I will pray. I'll pray. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then they pick up the phone. Oh, my God, so-and-so's about dead. That is not helping. You, you might have prayed for them. You might have said a little prayer, but you couldn't wait to go and tell the te- negative things and repeat them and speak them into the air. There's power in our words and there's angels amongst us. Angels of God and they respond to the word of God. And there are demons, fallen angels. And... God created you in His image. He's a creative being. Everything we know and see created by His Word. Held together by His Word. He's giving you that same creative ability. And He wants you to help Him to continue to build and create and build on the kingdom of God. To create beautiful things in the beautiful future He has in store for you. With your words and with your thought life and with your prayer life. The devil who has no authority except what people give him wants to trick you into doing some creating for him too. And if he can deceive you and to get you talking, death, negativity, despair, sickness, poverty... Grief, strife, he's going, <laughs> look, I got this Christian working for me. Don't believe me if you don't want, but I'm telling you the truth. You can check it all out in this word because this is where I get my messages. Amen. I, you can. You do all that. You speak to your day. You speak to God. You consult God. You praise God. You love on God. You let Him love on you. You speak to your day. You speak to your meetings. You speak to your body. You speak to your bank account. Turn all the red to black. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I expect favor. I expect blessings and good things I to overtake me. 
I was talking to Buddy this morning about how I, I go to God. He was telling me the same thing. And I turned to Psalm 23 and I said, yeah, the, the Lord, when we get all, everything gets all mixed up and all crazy and it just doesn't make any sense. And what's this all about? And it just, it's just, what is it? You just go back to the cross. And in Psalm 23, it says, the, the Lord restores my soul. How many of you just feel like you just need a reboot sometimes? You know, when your internet starts acting up and you just have to go turn it off for a second and just uh, count to 18 or whatever and you flip it back on and oh man, it just does wonders. Well, that's what the Lord does with our soul. If we'll go back to Jesus and I just hold that up to him and I say, Lord, restore my soul. Our mind, our will, our emotions, that's what gets off. And if we get all that straight, get that hold on to that vertical beam of that cross and get that relationship restored, then the horizontal relationships will begin to straighten out as well. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> we have to go in attack mode though. You know, there's, there's different kinds of, of faith. And uh, I know we're running late. I'm going to we just finish uh, so many things. Ephesians 6. I think of mama I'm talking about when we get up in the morning. My mama used to come in and flip the light on and say, rise and shine. And oh, don't you know I hated that as a kid. But now it means a whole lot more to me. And I, and I think that the Lord expects us to rise and shine. And he wants us to put the whole armor of God on. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, chapter 13, uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. And I'm not going to go through all the pieces of armor right now. But it, he wants us to put it on. And then he wants us to stand against the attacks and for faith and for victory in God. Amen. And so... I, I, I want to sort of challenge you to, to see the armor of God as He has laid it out and provided it for us. And then take another look at that sovereignty teaching that I talk about all the time that has crippled people that says that God's in control of everything. If whatever will be, will be, then what's the shield of faith for? Because it says it's to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. So if God's in control of every little thing that happens, then why did He give us this armor? Why did He give us a shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy? The lies, the accusations, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation that He throws and spews at us. We need revelation of each piece of that armor until the armor fits and we get comfortable in it. Amen. Faith can be aggressive or it can be defensive. In this case... It's defensive to fend off the enemy's attacks against you. So listen, you can't blame God if you didn't pick up the shield. Amen. If, 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 he, if He's given you all the armor and He's given you a shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy and you didn't pick up that shield, you can't blame God if you didn't take your stand in faith. So where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? So it all goes back to fellowship and a personal relationship 
with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to stop there because your minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure. (laughs) And I need to blow my nose, so... I love you all, and I'm glad that you came today. I uh, I just want to tell you, though, that unless you have a, a deliberate plan, on purpose, you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. Then you aren't going to be encouraged. It's normal to be discouraged. It's not normal to be encouraged. <laughs> I mean, in this fallen world. It's abnormal to be strong and of good courage. And that's what the Lord has told us to do. It's what He told Joshua to do. But it's doable. It's doable. God's Word will tell you exactly how to do it. My four-year-old granddaughter was sitting next to me last night. And I was reading this Bible. And she said, what are you doing and I said, well, I'm just reading God's Word. I'm just reading the Bible. She said, do you, do you read the whole Bible? I said, yeah, baby, I, I read the whole Bible. She goes, oh. She goes, that's a, that's a long book. She goes, I don't read all mine. I said, that's okay, you will. I said, you'll see how exciting it is, you know, and... And then the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll want to know about Him and He'll talk to you through it. And she says, well, if you read the whole thing, then why are you reading it again? (laughs) And I'm not good with kids like my wife and some people. So, I, you know, I, I just, I try to get it down to its simplest form and I just... I just think, I said, because it, it comforts me and it just, it's just a relationship that I have with Jesus. And you'll know more about it someday. But I know that the Hebrews 4.12 says this word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, it has the ability to divide even between my spirit and my soul. And see, sometimes we get in a place where we don't know if it's us or God. Our born-again spirit's always in agreement with God. We have the very mind of Christ in there. And it knows all things. And see, it's the kingdom of God is within us. But we can't discern that with our natural senses. We have to learn who we are and what we are, have become, and what we have through this word with the help of the Holy Spirit. But the word of God is alive and active. And it will speak to you every day if you allow it. It's our daily bread. It's not, uh, it's not a once-and-done thing either. It's uh, just like regular food. We have to have it every day. It's important. And I know that there are about 40 verses in the Bible about it being our daily bread. So I treasure the Word and I hope that you will too. Uh, Because it will help you. It will take you to where you need to be. It will teach you all the things that you need to know. Learn how to cooperate with God so that He can get you all the blessings and provisions that he really wants you to have. And praise God, I'm, I'm just so glad that uh, I get to be a part of encouraging you and helping you to reign in life and to be strong and of good courage and to, to help you pray with expectancy and to, 
to love like Jesus and to forgive quickly and to stand with the shield of faith and being proactive in resisting the devil and speaking to your mountains and expecting good things from the God who loves you. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your precious word. Thank you for all of the beautiful people that have come here today. Help us to come closer to one another and to learn to pray for one another and lift each other up and to be a blessing, uh, not only to each other, but to receive the help, the healing, the empowerment, the love and prosperity that you have provided through the atonement and to be helped and to go out into a sick and dying world and to help them with the same help that we've received from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 